0: This morning, uh, I I actually want to uh, revisit a sermon that I preached some time ago. And uh, while it's not really my tendency to re preach a message over the past couple of days, I've really felt uh, impressed by the Lord that I need to share this with you again. So if you have your Bible or if you have your smartphone, uh, would you turn over to Genesis chapter 11 with me, please? Genesis chapter 11. As you're flipping there, or turning there, or clicking there, let me just say this: that um, you know, for the next few minutes, I, I want us to turn our attention uh, to a man named Terah, um, You know, a very, uh, you know, I guess, obscure man that's in the Bible. But my hope is is that as we unpack the very few verses that contain this man's life's journey, his life story, that God will uh, just use it speak to us clearly. Amen. So I just encourage you to lean in and uh, believe God's going to talk to you today. If you're there in Genesis 11, say, oh yeah. oh yeah. Awesome, great job. Listen, we are, if you can just kind of look down there, verse 24, this is where Genesis chapter 11, verse 24, this is where we're first introduced to Terah. This is where he's born. The Bible goes on to say that he had three sons. We know their names are Abram, Nahor, and Horan. And it also goes on to say that the boys got married. And unfortunately, after Horan uh, had a son named Lot, he passed away. So it, it's basically, that's the first Part of the story, and that brings us to the two main verses that we're going to focus on today. If you can, look at uh, verse 31. I'm going to read out of the amplified uh, quasi new living translation that I combined. Okay, here we go. Genesis 11 31 through 32. It says this It says, One day that Terah took his son Abram, his daughter in law Sarai, and his grandson Lot, and they moved away from the Earl Chaldeans. It says, They were headed to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived two hundred five years, and Terah died in Haran. Let's swing back to the top, and let's work our way through this. Back to verse thirty-one. It says, "One day Terah took, or one day Terah led his son Abram, his son, uh, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his grandson Lot, and they moved." Can somebody say they moved? moved. Come on, let's say it like we mean it. Say they moved. Listen, the Bible doesn't give us an explanation of why Tira decided to, you know, saddle up the camel caravan, load up the donkeys and head west uh, with his family, his friends, his servants, his belongings, and whatnot, right? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he read something on the Internet. Maybe he heard something at the barbershop. You know, maybe he ran to a stranger at Rennie's that told him something really exciting. Uh, maybe the economy went south. I don't know. But somehow he found out about this distant land, and he decided that it was time for him and his family to move to that location. Now, if you understand anything about this time period, this wasn't something that people did. So this was extremely uncommon. Verse 31 goes on to say this. It says, and they moved away. Can somebody say away? Away. They moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. All right, so let me stop there let me give you a few quick facts that I believe are really important to the story here. Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans is found in modern-day Iraq. It's about 50 miles south of Baghdad, and it's better known as this, as Babylon. Now, most of us in this room know that Babylon was originally called Babel, which meant confusion. Uh, It was founded by a man named Nimrod. If you're pregnant and you want to name a child, Nimrod's a powerful name. Okay, so anyway, so a man named Nimrod, whose name uh, means uh, let us revolt. Or let us rebel. And so, and lastly, the Bible is very clear that Babylon was established out of rebellion towards God. So, here's the point that I want to grab, though. Biblically speaking, Ur of the Chaldeans represents confusion, rebellion, bondage, and sin. The verse goes on to tell us where they were going. It says, they were headed for the land of Canaan. Can somebody say Canaan? Now geographically speaking the distance between Babylon and Canaan was about 955 miles. I only say that because I want to ask one question. How many of you guys know that's a long way to ride a camel? Yes, it is. All right, so let me give you a few quick facts about Canaan. The land of Canaan is also known as this. Many of us know this, but it's the promised land. Now, the Bible describes the promised land as a good land that's flowing with milk and honey. And biblically speaking, and this point we want to grab, it represents inheritance. It represents uh, provision, abundance, and blessing. So in short, when we talk about Canaan, we're talking about God's best for his children. So here's the point. Uh, while, the Bi- while the Bible may not you know, say it you know, clearly, I believe that Tira and the gang had to make a choice either to stay in confusion, rebellion, bondage, and sin, or pack their bags and make for a place known for its inheritance, its provision, its abundance, and its blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty easy decision, yeah? All right, let's keep moving. At this point, it appears like everything's going well for Tira Abram, Sarai, and Lot, right? They're leaving bondage and they're making their way to blessing. And, uh, but it seems like out of nowhere, it seems like the wheels kind of fall off the, the camel caravan. Now, now, how do we know this? Uh, because look back at our verse. It simply says this. It says, but when. Obviously, that's signifying a moment in time. But when they came to Haran. Now, please don't miss this. You're going to miss everything we're going to say. It seems like at that point the, the 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 GPS was set for Canaan, right? The great Promised Land, right? The land known for its abundance. But then something happened that they weren't expecting. And, and I just want to submit to you that in that then that moment, that that unexpected moment, I, I believe that. Tira made a mistake that a lot of Christians are making today, and if I could be so bold to tell you this, that I think there's probably people in this room that have made the same mistake, I know I have before, but we've made the same mistake uh, that Tira made, and we don't even understand, we're not even aware that we made it. And and I believe the mistake is simply this, is, is that when we encounter a Haran, that it changes everything. Now, I know you're sitting there going, okay, what is a Haran? Great question, Right? Uh, The word Haran simply means this, it means parched, it means parched. In other words, Haran is described as a a desert, a dry place, a location that's withered by the sun. So, in other words, Terah ran into, he was on his way to the promised land, he was on his way to Canaan, right? He was on his way to abundance, inheritance, blessing, all this wonderful stuff, and he ran into a spiritual dry place, Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you walk with Jesus for any amount of time, you've hit one, two, three, or 40 of those. Amen? So listen, in one moment, we know this, that we're making great progress towards our destiny, right? We're enjoying God's presence. We're full of joy. Our prayers are being answered. We're hearing God's voice. We, you know, the word of God's just exploding. It's coming alive to us. We have this clear sense of God's calling in our lives. In in other words, in the the great, you know, in the words of the great prophet Nacho Libre, you know, life is good. Right. It's good. It's good. Right. So and then it's like out of nowhere, we find ourselves in Iran. We find ourselves in this dry place, this parched place, this spiritual desert. And almost instantly, God feels distant. Our prayers seem to be hitting the wall. Right. God is silent and we find ourselves in a complete fog when it comes to our calling. In short, life is not good. Wave your hand at me if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Listen, and when that happens, at least in my experience in ministry and personally walking with God, it's like when that happens, because we're so uh, rock solid and because we're so, you know, full of faith, what do so many of us do when we encounter a ran? We fall apart. Rock solid, right? We fall apart. We become unsettled. We become discouraged. We go into depression. We become this emotional roller coaster, right? We become a, a basket case inside. We get angry with everyone and everything, right? We holler at spouse. We kick the dog, right? Uh, fear and worry go into overdrive, right? We begin to doubt and blame God for what uh, we're going through, and, and and or let me say this: if we have enough, maybe. Uh, maturity to realize that it's not maybe God's fault. How many times have we seen people, they don't blame God, but they blame the church. It's the church's fault what they're going through. Because they feel like, you know, there's no way that they'd be experiencing what they're experiencing if the church would just be willing to do something different. Amen? Now listen, in my experience, we may not verbalize it, but, but so many people, when they, when they hit that emotional uh, dry spot, right? When they hit that, that Haran they just start thinking things like this. They think, well, if God was real, then he wouldn't let me go through this. Right. Or or maybe they've had, you know, plenty of years with God, enough encounters with God. So they don't really doubt if God's real. So so maybe they tell themselves, well, you know, God may be real, but he obviously doesn't love me and he doesn't care about me the way so many people told me that he does. Right. My point is this, is it's like right there in that dry spot, that's where we tend to question God's faithfulness. We question God's power and we question his ability to provide. In fact, we say things like this, God, do you even hear me when I pray? Ever been there? So listen, I just want to, with all that said, I want to warn you today. I want to warn you that it's in those spiritual dry places where the devil is so crafty and so good that, that it's in those moments when you know, where he knows that we are spiritually and emotionally weak that he will come and he will begin to tempt us to redefine the nature and the character of our God. Right? Listen, and because he knows, like at that point, that if he can get us to redefine the character of our God, then he sure can get us to redefine our calling our purpose, and our walk with God. Amen? Amen. So listen, which leads us to the next thing that so many of us tend to do. We, we begin to redefine things, but then we make this decision when we encounter Haran. Look back at the verse, please. It says, but when they came to Haran, watch these next two words, they settled. Can somebody say settled? settled. They settled. They stopped. They dwelt there. In other words, what happened was as Tira, you know, had his sight, right, set on this great, amazing promised land. He ends up in this dry spot, and he makes a decision. Instead of keep moving forward, he just turns off the GPS, right? Instead of he finds an exit, pulls off the the camel freeway, whatever, right? And and he finds a real estate agent, and and he decides to become a permanent resident in Haran. Decided to settle. So listen, it's true that far too often when we, as God's people, when we encounter a dry season, we tend to take our foot off the gas, right? We back off of our pursuit for the will of God, and we begin to compromise, we slide into mediocrity, we begin to worship, uh, you know, uh, less passionately, we visit the word less and less, right? And we only pray on special occasions like lunch and dinner, Right? And so, like here, what happens is, is we hit that dry spot, and and so what we do is we begin to look around for the best place to unload the camel caravan. In other words, we look for a place to unload our dreams, to unload our desires, to unload what we used to desire in God. And so what happens is, we pull out our tent, we set up camp, and then we do what so many people have done before us, we we just start looking for other people that have settled too, because we tell ourselves, everybody needs friends, Right? (laughs) See, I think there's something so powerful when you stop and look at who am I hanging with? Like, are they passionate for Jesus or are they just settled too? says a lot about us, yes? And and so, listen, unfortunately what happens when someone settles is they stop dreaming about thriving in God, you know, to just basically just hoping that they can figure out a way to survive. In short, they settle for less in every area of their lives. Y'all seeing this? If I could put this another way, so often I think this is what happens in dry times. In fact, I, if you don't maybe hear much today, hear this. I think in dry times we too easily become content with eating crumbs from the king's table, right? Like we're some kind of peasant, like we're some kind of second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And I just think the truth is, is we got to remember that Jesus shed his royal blood, right? So that we have the right and the divine privilege to sit at the right hand of the father, right? Sit at the table as the sons and the daughters of the most high God. That's our rightful place. Amen. So, so let me just add this one more thing and I'm not trying to beat nobody up. I'm just trying to say, state some facts. Okay. In in my opinion, when we begin to embrace that attitude of settling, uh, that's where things really get dangerous for us. Yes, because of the things that I've already mentioned, but also I think when we choose to settle, um, that decision in itself requires us to change our standards right it causes us to redefine what we believe about holiness redefine what we believe about being what it means to be to love God and be passionate for God it causes us to redefine our beliefs about God and so often the reason we do that is is because we we just redefine things to kind of fit our disappointments right and so and after all the reason we do that I think it's just a lot easier to say to someone else hey God doesn't do that anymore it's easier to come and tell someone, well, well, God told me that, but God changed his mind. Right? Well, he hasn't he, he called me to do that anymore. He hasn't called me to be that anymore. And, and so I think it's just a whole lot easier to say those kind of things. We've all said them in some way or another. But it's easier to say those things than it is to press through the dry times. Right. And, and so I kind of today what I'm trying to encourage you to do is is instead of just settling, how about let's let's dig in, let's press in and let's find the next oasis because it will come if we don't give up. Amen. So listen, it's at that point when someone has that attitude of settling. In my experience, what I've seen so often from people at church is, is they'll read the Bible but what they do is they stay away from the miraculous, they stay away from the supernatural, and, and more importantly, I think, they stay away from the challenging pieces of God's word. They make those pieces of God's word that, that would challenge them less and less relevant to their lives. And the reason they do that is because, uh, out, of, out of typically, it's out of an intellectual mindset, they think they've really got it all figured out, so there's no need to go in all that. Right? And so, and so what they do is they just suppose that they got it figured out that Christianity is supposed to be dry, it's supposed to be difficult, distant, boring, plain, and powerless. But hey, the good news is we get to go to heaven. Woo! Who wants to go witnessing now? Right? It's like, come on. And, and, and so it's, it's such a, how can I say this? It's such a is shortchanging what Jesus died for. Yeah. Right? So, so, so let's go back to our, our main verse here. What's, what ultimately happened to the guy named Tira in the spiritual dry place? It says in verse 32 it says, And Tira lived 205 years, and Tira died in Haran. Can somebody say he died? He died in the parks place, he died in the spiritual dry place. Now, in light of this, I personally think it's very interesting that that when we stop long enough and we dig into this and we actually begin to look at what does uh, Tira's name mean. Tira's name actually means this. Think about this in light of the story. His name means delay. 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 The word delay means to put off to a later time, to postpone, to put off action, to procrastinate, to impede the process or progress of. Gang, here's my point. It's because Tyra obviously became a spiritual procrastinator because he lacked action, because he thought he could put all forward movement to a later time. He ultimately traded a life of God's, uh, God's fullness, of God's best for a place in the desert. Or if we could put it this way, because he got delayed, he died somewhere in between bondage and blessing. Now, I don't know about you in this room, but I don't want to die in that place. I don't want to die in a dry place. I don't want to die in a place between bondage and blessing, man. man I want God's best for my life, and I want God's best for my family's life, amen? amen. So, so with all that said, I just want to ask a simple question today, and it's this: it is wherever you're at today, whatever season, if you're in that dry place, man, are you are you passing through that dry place, or like Tira, have you decided to move into the neighborhood? Have you decided to settle? Right? And so, could it be possible today if we would actually do some soul searching that, that maybe somebody in here that maybe you've been delayed for some time? Just maybe a thought. Alright, so with all that in mind, let me give you uh, just real quick uh, two short, uh, you know, two different types, basically, of harans that you and I can potentially run into as believers, spiritual dry places. The first one is this, and these are really important. First one is this, it's a God-ordained dry place. A God-ordained dry place. You can't talk about this without, without bringing in what God does actually sometimes with us, right? Now, now now I realize when I say that to some of you guys that have been walking with Jesus for a while, you're like, that's a no-brainer. Like, I get that. But, but, but listen, in the last 20... I don't know, 26 years, I cannot tell you how many Christians I've ran into that when they are walking with God, man, it's like fireworks, they're excited, things are going great, and then they hit a dry spot, and then they're shell-shocked, like they they have no clue what to do, right? And it's like, for for whatever reason, like Tara, it's like no one ever told them that spiritual dry places are just part of the journey, they're just part of it. And if I could say something to a lot of people, they're, they're part of the journey. They're not meant to be the journey itself. Okay? And meaning that we're not supposed to stay there again, right? Which means this, is that if we want to experience God's best for us, and I believe that we do, right? Th- then we're going to have to accept the fact that we're going to have to go through some dry places to get where God wants us to be just part of it, once again. Okay? That we'll have to accept that these dry places, that these dry seasons are just as important as the seasons of an open heaven. Right? In other words, there's times where you feel like, man, the rain of heaven is falling on you. And then there's times where you feel like there's not even a drop. And I'm trying to say that they are equally important. That they are both essential in the maturation process if you want to become who God's called you to be. Right? So, Listen, so today let me just throw this out there. If you're if you're a person that's in one of those God ordained dry places, I, I think it's it sometimes it some place in your heart, you gotta find you gotta have peace with that. Like you gotta find peace with it, right? That 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 once again it's just something you're gonna endure and, and to understand that God is clearly trying to bring transformation into your life somewhere. Like it's just part of it, right? And and, and if you could think that it's like that's the moment, guys. It's not really, and I've been doing this for a while, the the high spots with God where God falls into place and like a bomb goes off, I, I love those moments. But the reality is, is in comparison to the dry moments, I have grown significantly more in the dry moments than I have in those incredible moments, right? And the reason is, is because yes, they're amazing. We get to touch heaven, but over here, that's really where the school of the spirit, right? That's really where you're being developed, so, so if you can just think about a moment in light of what we're talking about and, and, and between those two places, like how else do we think that we are actually going to be molded into men and women of God? Like, like, how else do we think our faith really grows? Like, how else do we think that a greater level of trust between us and God, because it goes both ways, right, is established? And how else do we think that the fruit of the Spirit, like godly characters, produce in us? And how else do we think our capacity, uh, capacity for intimacy with the Father grows? Gang, what I'm trying to tell you is, is there's no other way. Don't get too excited. Listen, after all, does the Bible not say this? To back it up, Hebrews 5.8. It says, even though Jesus, we're talking about God's son in the flesh, right? The incarnation, right? Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned. Can somebody say learned? learned. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. I, I know no one, like that's nobody's favorite scripture. <laughs> Understandable, right? But, but he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And I just want to submit to you today, like what makes us think that we're better than him? right? If that's how he had to learn it, what makes us think that, man, uh, that we get a pass? right? So, so once again, if we realize or not, it is through the spiritual hard times, it is through the dry seasons that we learn things like obedience, patience, perseverance, endurance, and ultimately how to walk in intimacy and be more like Jesus. Right? Is there anybody in this room that feels like you're you've made it, you've arrived, that you and Jesus are one and the same? If you if you're there, we'll pray for you after service (laughs) because you might need to be humbled. Okay. So, but but I just want to repeat to you once again: there's no other way. It's the way God does it. Okay. So let me transition this thought with this: Am, Am I sitting here telling you guys? Uh, that God allows us to go through hard times, go through, I'm going to say it, go through hard times and through dry seasons for his purpose and for our benefit? The answer is a thousand percent yes, right? On that note, consider these two verses. We're talking about Jesus. This is right after he got baptized, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a good day. Yeah, it says he returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit, not to the mountaintop, but into the wilderness, into the dry place to be tempted by the devil. Uh-oh, not fun, right? But, but what's the outcome that we see 13 verses later? Many of you guys know this. It says in verse 14, it says, then Jesus returned from the dry place, from the wilderness, from being tempted in the power of the spirit. Now, listen, did did this time in the wilderness take place for God's purpose or for the benefit of Jesus? The answer is both, right? Because why? Because they're really the same. To understand that this, it was in the wilderness where Jesus was empowered, right, for the ministry. We could go way more into this thousands of directions, just give me grace. But he was empowered, right, for the ministry, okay? So it was for his benefit, and listen, in doing so, did that not fulfill God's purpose? Yes, because he's God in the flesh. He came for a cause. He came for a purpose. And so all I'm trying to say to you today is, listen, it's the same will go for us. That if you and I want to be anointed, if we want to be marked by the presence of God, if we want to be used by God, then guess what? we got to stop shortchanging and bypassing the process, right? If we want to see the purposes of God fulfilled in our lives, then we got to walk the road. Great place to say amen. Amen. So, so. To kind of bring this to conclusion and we'll go to our second point, it's like the reason I'm telling all, all of us this today it's because my hope is 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 because the next time or the next time that we hit a dry place in our walk with God, because it is coming. If you're not in one, rest assured it is ahead. Be encouraged. All right? So it's it's this. rather than us falling apart that moment, maybe we need to remember that God in his brilliance and his infinite wisdom, that he's already predetermined some spiritual dry places for us to walk through that are, believe it or not, for our benefit and for his purpose. Amen? Amen. So the question I have before before we shift to our second point is, are you willing to walk through a desert to get to your promised land? Are you willing? Because that's what it's going to take. The second type of spiritual dry place that we encounter is this. And this is a real fun one to hear about, but, it, but it's self inflicted. Self inflicted dry places. Now, to drive this point home, I actually want to uh, turn our attention away from Tira to a son, Abram, who most of us know as Abraham. Okay? Um, let me kind of set this up. I, I really, just to be quite honest with you, I wish I had about another 30 minutes to present this. In the way that I would like to, but we don't have that time. Aren't you glad? Okay, so um, so you're going to have to just do your best to work with me here, and I'm going to do my best to make it plain. If you need a, if you need or want a conversation later, we'll have it. Okay, so just give me some grace. But for years, when when I uh, would hear go to church and I would hear some sermon about Abraham, it seemed like it never felt the preacher would would typically say that after Abraham's father died so once terah died that God spoke to Abraham and then they would quote the very next verse because we went because it goes um, Genesis 11 31 32 and then that's the chapter change into Genesis 12 verse 1 and so they would say that terah died and then God spoke to him and they would quote the verse now the Lord had said to Abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you now by doing this the preacher would Almost 100% of the time, insinuate that once God spoke to Abraham about his plan for his life, that Abraham stepped out in faith, and man, the rest was history. Like, like he heard God and he obeyed. Like this dude nailed it on the first time. But I want you to know that's not the whole picture if you actually bring it all together, okay? The truth is, is when you and I stop long enough and we begin to connect Genesis 11, Genesis 12 with the New Testament scriptures of Acts chapter uh, seven, we discover, discover that yes, God spoke to Abraham, but not in the sequence that everybody else preaches, okay? And I'm not trying to say I'm better than I'm just saying I saw something, right? That's not in the sequence that all those preachers suggest. And guess what? And he certainly didn't nail it. Okay. Rather, here's what happened, and we'll dig into this. Abraham went through a series of hearing God and a series of making right choices that coincided with wrong choices, right? So in other words, he made them at the same time, and those choices led him to several self-inflicted dry places. Let me show you. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 2. It says, and he, this is Stephen. If you know Acts, this is what Stephen's kind of preaching before he gets stoned to death. Hopefully that won't happen to me today. All right, here we go. So it says, and he said, brethren and fathers, listen. It says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. What, watch this. Watch the wind. Before he dwelt in Haran. Y'all get that? Everybody that I've heard all these years preached that that basically that uh, basically he followed his dad and then he got there and his dad died and, and now God spoke to him and now it kind of launched out but that's not what Paul said in Acts. Paul said the dude was still hanging. In Earl chaldeans Mesopotamia, Babylonia, he was still there, right? And, and history would tell us that his dad was an idol maker. So he was hanging out in his dad's house, and he's making idols to all these foreign gods. And, and what happens is, is in that moment, God spoke to him. It's right there, before he died, right? And then he goes on to say this, And he said to him, what we read earlier, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. He said it to him way back there. Then it says, and then he came out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. That's what we read in Genesis 11. It says, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land into which you now dwell. That's Genesis 12. So, listen, once again, I'm trying my best to make this plain. But it seems like when God spoke to Abraham while he was living, right, while he was still living in Ur-Chaldeans, once again, Abraham, get out of your country and get away from your relatives, that the Bible clearly tells us, right, that, that, yes, Abraham moved, right? He moved. He got out of ur Chaldeans. he got out of the country. And by doing so, he made a right choice. Watch this. But he forgot a key piece. He forgot to leave his father. And he forgot to leave his nephew Lot, right? Thus, he made a wrong choice at the same time. Because that's not what God called him to do. In other words, he, he, he did partial obedience, okay? Now, does anyone remember what the name Tira means? means delay. So here's the point that I want to make today, is that because Abraham didn't fully obey God when he decided to take his father's nephew with him, right? He got delayed, yes, in this forward movement, the will of God, but he also got stuck in a self-inflicted dry place. Now, we need to understand something today. This isn't like, you know, you and I flying into Lagordia, and they say, uh, you know, your flight's been delayed by eight hours, Okay, or, or saying, hey, you know, I love Delta, by the way. And so, you know, you know, oh, your flight's canceled. Go find you a hotel and come back tomorrow. That's not what happened. This dude was there for a while. In fact, he was there so long, his daddy had to die. Okay, now, now I, I don't, the Bible doesn't say how long he was there, but I have read, on, you know, on the great theological Google that... Uh, <laughs> that uh, basically that some theologians believe he was there 14 years. I don't know if that's right or not, but all I can say is he was in that self-inflicted dry spot for a long time and he had no one to blame but himself because he's the one that disobeyed, right? So listen, I don't know about you, but I can't help but to wonder how many times I have initiated a self-inflicted dry place in my own life due to my half-obedience. Am I the only one in here? So listen, like like how many times have have we, right? How many times have we put off or stopped our progress in the plan of God uh, because we were unwilling to part ways with something or someone that we deemed more important than our obedience? We've all done it, right? So let me kind of give you a side note, if we can pause right there for a moment, because I think this is really important for all of us to hear. Uh, did you notice that Abraham wasn't the only one who had to pay the price for his lack of disobedience, or his lack of obedience? Did you it said that his wife Sarai was with him? <laughs> right? And uh, I, I could go in a, plenty of directions there, but I won't. But let me just say this. It's a reminder that our decisions affect more than just us. Right? In, in, in fact, I... Uh, I hesitate to share this with you, but, but Jennifer and I are friends with a couple, and uh, they live in another state. You guys have never met them, and uh, from the first time I met them, A, I fell in love with them. Amazing people. They love Jesus, have an absolute beautiful family, um, but, but the wife, anytime things get like the presence of God comes, man, she starts crying, <laughs> And the reason is, it's because she knows in her heart of hearts that God's called them to be missionaries. And the problem is, is my buddy, whom I love, is so scared to take the next step, right? So, so here they are, all these beautiful children, and, and because he is so indecisive and he can't make a decision, even though he, he, he like um, flirts with it. He goes back and forth. Should we do it? Should we not do it? I mean, it's this constant state where it just wears you out because he can't make a decision at the end of the day because of that he's not only caused himself to be delayed in the call of God but he's also caused his wife to be delayed in the call of God am I making sense to y'all so once again it affects more than, than just us okay alright so let's swing back to Acts chapter 7 for a moment notice that it said when his father or when his delay was dead God moved him God moved them in a forward direction. In other words, Canaan became a real genuine location. It got entered back into the GPS and they were on their way again, right? So so while I... While I believe that we're all probably pretty grateful that we serve a God of second, third, and fourth, and fifteenth chances, like we're all thankful for that, uh, at the end of the day, man, there's this, still this sobering thought linking in the air with that statement. It's simply this. is that there's a fact that until our delays are rendered lifeless, guess what? There'll never really be any forward movement in our life in, in the way God intended. Smile at me. It's okay. So let me expound on that for a minute. Notice Genesis 12, 1 again. I'm going to read it again for about a third time. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, So now, what, what's now? It's meaning once his father's dead. So that means this. It means that God clearly, because he told him in Mesopotamia, and now he's having to tell him again. So he's telling him the second time, Abraham." Get out of your country, get away from your family, your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Now, I, I may not be the smartest guy in the bunch, but, but I'm just thinking if you have spent a significant amount of time in a dry place, then surely you've learned your lesson. Like, surely you got it down, bro, right? So, like, there's zero chance that you're going to make the same mistake twice. Surely you're going to get away from your family. You're going to leave everybody high and dry and just wave, right? You're going to, get, you're going to peel out, out of the yard, right? Dust flying, whatever. But, but, but if you read three short verses later, here's what we find. It says in Genesis 12, 4, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He made the right choice, and Lot went with him. Wrong choice. Are y'all seeing this? If we continue to read the story uh, about Abraham's life, yes, you see that God's blessings begin to trickle into his life, okay? And so, so it was there, but the reality is, is that his next season of life was really full of disunity, strife, and contention. In other words, it was full of drama, and it was all because of one dude. His name was Lot. Okay, that because he kept that guy, that wrong choice, that disobedience with him, he created more self-inflicted issues because of half obedience. And so, listen, with with that in mind, um, here's the key point, because I want to give a redemptive fact here today. If you and I keep reading the story, we find out that all Abraham had to do was make one decision, and that one decision changed everything. Let me show you here Genesis 13. This is basically got to the point where he was so fed up with stuff happening with Lot and Lot's crew that he finally said, look, man, uh, you pick a direction. I don't care what it is. You go, and I'm going in the opposite direction. Like he had to get to that point of utter frustration. How many of you guys know God doesn't want us to get to that point that we have to make a decision, right? Just obey the first time. It will save us from all that, right? But, But it says this. It says, and the Lord said to Abram, after, Lot had separated from him. So Lot moved on, and he just turned around, and it says this. God said, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. It's all yours. Here it is. Here's what happened. Gang, if we think that that moment was an accident, we're fooling ourselves. Right? Here's the thing, that as soon as he stepped into full obedience, guess what? He not only saw Canaan, but he also stepped into the inheritance, the provision, the abundance, and the blessing that God had been longing to give him for many years. Y'all seeing that? Was God's plan ultimately completed? Yes, but it was, you know, uh, tagged in there with a whole bunch of bumps and bruises and delays along the way that were absolutely unnecessary. So, all I'm going to submit to you today is this, is, is, is I don't know today if you were in a self-inflicted dry place, but, but I would encourage you to do this, to have a heart that would say, God, um, why am I in it? Why am I here, right? Can you tell me what decision I've made? Can you tell me what someone I'm holding on to or something that I'm holding on to that's hindering me from moving forward, that's causing me to be delayed? Amen? Amen. Can you stand to your feet, please? If you don't mind, just close your eyes for a moment. I have zero gold to embarrass anybody today, so this is a safe moment. You're all right. Listen, I think this, because I think God wanted me to share this today. Because of that, I believe there's probably people in this room right now um, that, that you, you got wonderful things ahead of you. In fact, Jesus has told you some pretty cool stuff in the past. It's been prophesied over you or you just heard stuff in your own prayer time or you just know that you know that you know in your heart that God's called you to do some really cool things. Um, but it seems like, and, and I don't mean for like a month, that's not what I'm talking about, uh, but it seems like spiritually speaking you haven't had forward movement in a while that there's been quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of self-inflicted dry places or delays in your life. And, and I think what we should do in this moment or what we need to do is, is to just simply uh, ask the Holy Spirit to identify what those delays may be so that we can, A, repent, and B, get rid of it so we can start moving again. Amen? And uh, let me just say this. If you're a person that has uh, bounced around, God said this, God said that, God said this, God said that, first of all, loads of grace to you. We've all done it. Um, but but I just want you to know that Like I got this really... Sound theological core belief, and it's this: is that God's not schizophrenic. Okay, He He doesn't yank us around. He doesn't put a care in front of our face. Uh, you know, He He didn't put us in a rat maze. Uh, you, you know, listen, He knows what He's doing. He's trustworthy. So so, let's just maybe take a minute to to have an honest talk with the Holy Ghost and say, Lord, why, why am I why am I not where I thought I'd be? Is it because of me? And then ask him to show you why. Can you just do that on your own, please? second group I want to talk to is this. As as I know that there's some people in this room that, uh, man, you love Jesus. You pursue him with all your heart. Uh, You're a person of high character, a person of integrity. And uh, you do a great job, not only loving God, but loving people. But unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it's not the right word, but it's happened that your right choices have led you to a God-ordained dry place. And I just want to, if that's you, I just want to simply encourage you today uh, to not give up, to not quit. Um, you know, let me say it another way, that maybe stop resisting it, quit fighting it, and just maybe go, God, if this is you, would you just do what you want to do in me? If you want to transform me, you can transform me completely. I, I just want to come in agreement with you. And uh, let him change you, right? Stop blaming the devil. Stop blaming your spouse or your job or whatever else you blame. And just embrace what God's doing. And, and I, I would love to say rest to you. But I'm not so sure if rest is the answer in that moment. I think it's, I think it's submission and surrender quit striving to, to run out of the fire and just instead go, Lord, you have me here for your benefit. I'm sorry, you know, for, for your purpose and my benefit. So Lord, let me embrace it. Amen? Amen. If um, if that's you, Jesus may want you to shift your priorities a little bit. Um, you, may, you may need to make a little bit more time for him and a little bit less time for people, uh, but do that. It's worth it. Amen. Let me pray for y'all. I feel like like with that first group, I need to pray one thing. I will not go long. Just let me pray something because I think it's Jesus. Can can we just um, take a posture here? Just open us before the Lord. Father, I just ask you simply, Lord, for if if there's anybody in this room, uh, Lord, that has redefined their own identity and calling and purpose in life to, to fit um, their dry season or to fit their settling Lord I'm asking God that you would come by your grace and you begin to remind them God who you've called them to be God that you would awaken their hearts God to remember the dreams and to remember the vision and just the, the, uh, the passion Lord that you put in their heart in years past Father I pray God if they are uh stuck in the spiritual slumber, God, they're stuck in just eyes closed, ears closed, heart closed, God, that you would remind them, God, yes, that they're a son or a daughter of God, that yes, they're the, you know, the head, not the tail, and all those amazing things that your word says about us, but God, personally, who they are called to be, will they remember that? remember, God, the things that used to wake them up at night, that they would remember the things that used to cause them to lay on the floor and weep and cry and just say, God, would you please do this? God, would you remind them again of what it means to have that intimacy and that uh, just such a, a personal walk with you? Jesus, would you do it in this moment? Come on, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.